don't just make a touch point for the sake of a touch point. Build a relationship with your customers. Like care about them more than they care about their own success and just watch your business blow up. Like just genuinely put your customers first and just care so deeply about them. Hi, I'm Lucas James. And I'm Jordan Ross. And I'm AJ Casada, And we're the co-hosts of How to Scale an Agency. After scaling our own agencies to over $185,000 per month in sales and working with agencies doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue like Hawk Media and Neil Patel, we've made this show to interview the top digital marketing agency owners and highlight the fastest ways to scale your agency. If you'd like to join the best digital marketing agency community on the planet and let us help you scale, go to twiz.io to sign up today. What's up, agency owners? Welcome to another episode of How to Scale an Agency. This is your host, AJ Casada, co-founder of Revenue Boost, where we help agencies optimize their offer lead generation sales system so they can have unbreakable consistency in their sales process and work with their dream clients. Really excited, guys, for today's episode. I have Matthew Ballantine and Daniel Bouchard. So we have a cool little group interview going on today. we got both founders on. And I'm really excited to have these guys on because, first of all, we've interviewed a lot of different guests here from all different types of companies and agencies And uh, yeah, these guys are one of the few where like when we first met, I really felt like we share a lot of the same values and how we view business and how we've built ours. And there's a lot of similarities in our stories. So really excited to connect on all that. And just to give you guys some context before we dive in, Daniel and Matthew own People Over Profits. And what they've been doing is they came into a business that was a little bit stuck around six, seven figures. And they basically come in to just overhaul their sales, marketing operations and really rebuild a lot of stuff from scratch. And now they've been scaling it to... 5 million and documenting the whole process for free on Facebook. So I've been following their posts for a while, looking at their journey, really resonating with a lot of it. And I'm just excited because I think that's a lot more of what the business content community needs is like really seeing the behind the scenes in the trenches, right? I think there's a lot of theory out there. There's a lot of cool ideas, cool strategies, but it's so much more relatable when you can actually just really have a real business to talk about and the actual day-to-day of what's happening and see all that in action. Excited to just really have these guys pull up the curtain and just go really deep into what they've been doing, what's been working, what hasn't, and some other fun stuff as well. But the main thing we're going to talk about today is how to actually approach growing a business from a different way, right? How to actually approach growing a business by focusing on the customer and building it inside out and really focusing on the customer experience first before sales, which is a little counterintuitive, but it's been something that's on my mind a lot. So I want to have these guys on and have them share their perspective on what that means and how you can actually grow your business by focusing a little bit less on sales, if that makes sense. But anyway, before I spoil it more, just wanted to say, what's up, guys? Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Sure. So before we dive in, you want to, guys want to give us some context before we get into the current projects and what you guys are doing. Maybe just a little more like your background, where you guys are from, how you guys got into this game. Yeah, absolutely. To go really far back, Matt and I were in the bartending scene. Uh, He was a manager and I was just a grunt behind the bar. Basically, COVID happened and I had to find an alternative way of working. And I was looking at entrepreneurship about six months beforehand, doing a lot of study and whatnot. And so I got into the sales game. I was doing just DM sales in the beginning. And Matt joined the team as well. And we became this powerhouse business partner type situation just as salespeople. And even from the very beginning, Matt was looking at different ways, things he could tweak in order to help the business. But I think what we realized from that experience, like we're not closing over a million dollars in six months in our first year of doing sales. And that was through the DMs. Granted, it was during COVID, so there's a bit of a crisis going on. But what we realized afterwards was that the they were fake testimonials and like the success rate was like less than 5%. And it was a course on like how to make money online from home. 
And that just really didn't stick well with us at all. The fact that we had just closed so many people into this thing and less than 5% of people were getting results. And I think that really started us on a journey of like people focused, not just focusing on the sales numbers, but like the impact that, that we're actually making. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So you guys had a lot of... So first of all, that's pretty epic, right? Most people for even their first six, 12 months in sales, they were finding their footing, but you guys definitely had some natural skill for it if you were able to just generate seven figures in your first six months. So that's pretty epic. But basically you just found out that the company you're working for wasn't really serving their customers well. And probably a lot of that ended up being shit coming back to you, right? Yeah, definitely. DMs, you, you get the DMs after you, you close someone and they're upset with you because they're like, I trusted you. You seemed like yeah. I could trust you. At the time, like it was DM sales. We were actually pretending to be the influencer. So we had a lot of credibility and trust that we could leverage from there. But then moving on from there, the other businesses that we continued to work with, a few after that, I did sales independently. One of the ladies I was closing for, I reached out to one of the people that was her testimonial. And I was like, hey, I just want to give you a quick call and get a really good understanding of your story. I wish I never bought that thing. Me personally, that really stuck with me. And I was like, I'm not going to allow this to happen anymore. If I sell for someone, I'm going to make sure that they're getting an amazing result. And I'm only going to sell to people that I know we can definitely help. Yeah, for sure. So you reached out to a testimonial of this was a different company now. And it was basically like fake. And she was not only not a success story, she was like a pretty angry customer, right? Yeah, she was not happy with the service, which blew my mind because we were using her as a testimonial. So it makes you wonder, like how often that really happens. But that was how people over profits as a mantra was born. So then after that, we ended up doing sales for another company over profits on the board. Every single call, like you go back and look at my previous Zoom recordings, this is people over profits off in the corner, just for me to mentally remind myself, like, this is what I'm about. This is what we're doing. So then when Matt and I finally left that sales role, of course, the business that we started, we named it People Over Profits. And it's that's been the focus ever since is how can we put people first, not only in a sales sense, but also in delivering for the customer as well. And we're realizing as we continue to do this is when you put people first, like it's cheesy, right? But it's true. You put people first, focus on them and inevitably the profits come anyway. Yeah, that's awesome. I've had a similar realization as well in my career where it's now for me, if I ever have a, even I just smell that there's someone that doesn't really put people first and they're out just out just for themselves or they're even have the slightest hint of being unethical, like we don't work with them. We won't have them as a client. We won't have them on our team. It's like a deal breaker because there's enough people in the in business just trying to pull one over. And I think working with people that actually genuinely want to help, not only is that going to lead to more success, it just makes everything better all around. It just creates a better work environment. You can smell it too. Like you can... Yeah feel it. And on the inverse, you can feel it when people genuinely care about you. With what we're doing at the moment, I've essentially just created this role of customer service manager or customer success manager. And having people jump on and be like, you know what, I really felt like that Danny cared about me and I really felt he was doing the right thing. And then continuing that, that's been so important because once they enter, that's when the real work begins. And previously, Danny would like ethically sell them and give them what they want to do what's honestly right for them. But then the fulfillment's, you know, hit and miss. And then, but having this system now where Danny's doing the ethical portion on the front end and actually only selling things that actually are a fit for them. And then me doing on the back end, controlling that entire customer journey from, because they're buying for a reason. And when we need to make sure they get in that result. And that's really satisfying for me when you have people 
actually achieving success. And I think it's so focused on the sales and the marketing right now. It's like, yeah, we made a sale. I'm like, yeah, we got a referral. Like that's yeah. what excites me, right? Yeah, for sure. And a referral, that's an indicator, right? It's harder to track customer success and fulfillment and like how good your operations are. It's a little bit more, I feel like, intangible to a degree. I don't know what you guys think, but maybe that's why a lot of people tend to just gravitate towards the sales metrics and bumping them up because it's very straightforward. But there are metrics on the back end as well, like you guys have experienced. I feel like that gives you an indicator of the true health of your business because anyone can sell. Like you can get someone on a phone and you can be pushing, get a couple of closes in, right? But that's not really a true measure of the sustainability and the overall health of your business, I feel. What do you guys think about that? I think with that, I think that people would be aware of the metrics if they actually had more touch points with their customers and they were actually had this relationship with their customers once they bought that where they truly cared about them, right? Where they truly cared about the success. And I think what happens is these high ticket offers that we see in the space, that's like five grand will work for you over X period of time or whatever. If there's no recurring revenue on the back end, it's like, okay, cool. Where's the next five grand coming from? But if you know that hey, I'm going to be working with this person for 90 days. And then like at the end of that, there's the ability to work onwards and actually pay, play a part in the journey. First of all, you can make way more per customer, but actually focusing on those things and then having that relationship with them, then when you know where they've got to win, when they've hit a milestone, great chance to ask for a referral and great chance for ask for a testimonial, those sorts of things. But you can only measure the metrics if you are genuinely constantly in communication with your customers and you can feel and hear what they're about and get their feedback. And then it becomes this loop because you speak to your customers more, you understand what they want, you understand what's missing for them. You can build that into the offer to create even more satisfied customers and to continue to fill your own holes within your business versus just focusing on the shiny object, which is the new sale, the new marketing hook, the new strategy. You end up on a hamster wheel if you do that because you're just focusing on the next month's sales. And I think there's just a better way to do business. And a really more sustainable way to do business there as well. Yeah, that's what I'm really excited to get into, to really dive deep into today is just a different way to look at business, right? Because I really do feel, I know you guys feel the same way. There's just so many people in our space, just online business in general, not even just coaching or agencies, where there's just so much of an obsession on the front end on like getting sales and getting leads, which makes sense because that is how that engine always needs to be running. But it's not just that. And for me, a big shift I've went through is going from like marketer to like proper business owner, right? I feel like there's always a difference between, you can tell when someone's really like just an internet marketer where someone's like really trying to run or running like a real proper business, right? And in a business, there's four departments or at least how I categorize it. There's marketing, sales, operations, fulfillment. So if you're just always pushing marketing and sales, you don't really have the back end to keep customers, get referrals, have great retention. It's just like you're just constantly having to work so hard to bring people in the top of the funnel. And I feel from what I've noticed from consulting a lot of companies, that can work to get a business off the ground to a certain point, but then it'll get stuck. And I know that's what you guys experience with that company. You're scaling to 5 million as well. So I'm, I'm, I can't wait to hear more of the ins and outs of it. But for me, like even as an example, there's this one, there's this one guy I know that teaches some like spiritual meditation courses. And I met him actually out here while traveling in Vietnam. And I have a friend that worked for him. And it turns out that the guy was a real total a-hole, like just didn't treat his team well, didn't treat his employees well, didn't treat his contractors well. And he's making maybe a million a year. But I like... I know he's not going to get past a million unless he changes that because nobody like a players want to work for good leaders, right? If you don't have proper ethics in business, if you're not really taking care of your customers, taking care of your team, sure. With good marketing, good branding, pushing sales, you can get people in, but like, you're not gonna be able to really build something big until you really run it like a proper business, have all departments optimized and have great leadership, right? People are going to find out if you're an a-hole, right? Or if you're just unethical in business and they're not going to want to work for you. So even that guy I mentioned as an example, it's like, he's still at the same spot, right? So I feel like, yeah, you, with marketing, with sales, like that's enough to get you going, but to really scale and build something sustainable. I totally agree with what you guys said about that.
I'm passionate about this one. One of the one of the businesses that we were doing sales for, they were a lead gen, essentially like a client acquisition system. Hindsight's always 2020 vision. Looking back, we were brainwashed in being told that like word of mouth is just not that important because it was something that we'd say on the sales call where it's like, oh, you're relying on referrals. Oh, you don't have a system to generate customers. And you look back, realize now that like word of mouth is so important. Like, of course, Yes, it is important to have a client acquisition system. But instead of a client acquisition system that gives you, say, 10 clients a month, why not a client acquisition system that allows you to have 10 clients a month, plus they go and tell all their friends about you because everything that you're doing is so incredible. So it's a system, but on top of that, it's also a referral system. And having that strong word of mouth is Alex Mosey talks about it all the time, right? That it's like the fastest way to truly grow it. It, it compounds exponentially because it's quadratic. One person tells four, four people tell another four, and it grows from there. And just looking back, if there was one thing that I wish we could have learned earlier on is how truly important referrals and good word of mouth is, but then also to measure if you're like in sales and you're looking at a company that you're going to potentially sell for, like what is the word on the street? Like how many referrals do they actually get? Because we have worked with businesses where you literally like, one referral a year. That's horrible. We, we want to be creating such a good reputation that people are screaming our names from the rooftops. And I think that truly starts with the sales process. And yes, I'm biased, but on the front end, the way that you treat a prospect going into the sale, that you're not selling them this like shiny object that they're just like getting really excited and the motions are really high and they don't really understand what they're getting into. They're not really taking responsibility on the call. They're just thinking about how excited they are to achieve this dream that they're being sold. Little do they know that there's not the fulfillment system to actually have them achieve that, but then they're also not taking responsibility. So two things that we really changed with what we do is on the front end, we make sure we front load that responsibility, make sure that they're taking on the responsibility that, hey, like this is, you don't have to do anything, right? You can stay in the same position, but where does that leave you after three months, six months. Oh, okay. Are you willing to settle for that? No, no, I'm not willing to settle for that. All right. Whose responsibility is it to actually make a change? Because you don't have to. And front-loading that responsibility, then after they actually buy, they still take that responsibility with them. And then when you have the support system of the back-end fulfillment that is just perfectly crafted to ensure that they succeed, it's such a beautiful combination for that positive word of mouth. Yeah, so just one thing I wanted to add on to that is quite often if you sell on excitement and features and benefits and shiny objects, you generally have, if you imagine a graph and their, their emotion, their excitement, like just peaks when they buy and they buy on emotion. And unless you have some superstar, amazing, just undeniable offer, it's just going to drop as soon as they get on the inside, Right. And then it's so hard to build up that momentum. So I think what Danny does really well in a sales perspective is he paints a realistic picture. He says that this isn't a silver bullet to make money or whatever it is, however you want to position it around whatever your product or service is. But they make the realistic. And as Danny says, put the responsibility in their hands. Then when they come to me on the client success side, it's like, okay, I'm ready to work. What do I need to do? And then we can slowly build up this crescendo, not over a 45-minute sales call, but over a three or four-month period with the client where they're just like stacking mm -hmm. little wins on top of little wins. And I think that's what's really important. And just to circle back on something else you said earlier, 
you know, you said, oh, if you focus on marketing and sales and you can't really focus that much on fulfillment or operations, right? You only have 100% of your focus. So if you're focusing 70% of your time on marketing and sales and acquisition, then you naturally only have 30%. So if you're an agency owner, probably with a team that's doing over seven figures, then absolutely hire someone to focus on acquisition and hire someone to focus specifically on client success. Luckily, me and Danny are business partners, so we can split that down the middle. And I have all my focus on the back end. Danny's all on the front end. But if you're starting out, you at least have to have it. I would have it like 30, 70, like 30% focus on marketing and sales and 70% on your customers. Because as you're starting out, you can only have one, two, three clients. But if you blow their minds, they're going to tell people. And like you're going to be able to post their results. You're going to be able to generate more clients off of that. So... I actually disagree with what you say with marketing and sales and focusing on that when you're starting out. I would say start out and just get one client and blow their minds and like absolutely just have them want to go and tell people and want to do anything possible to help you off the ground. And then that becomes your marketing for you. So I think that's a bit of a good way to look at it when you look at what percentage of my energy am I allocating to different segments of the business? And yeah, just spending nine hours a day looking at different marketing angles, you're generally not going to have that much time for your customers. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like what you said at the end, it'll still get you customers, but then you're just going to hit a wall. With I feel like with really good marketing and sales, you can like t- almost for a second kind of cover up the lack of good quality product fulfillment and customer experience, but it's just going to get found out, right? You're just going to have to keep trying so hard. And like you said before, Danny, Alex Ramosi talks about that as well, where like word of mouth just has that quadratic effect and lifts everything up. And you know what he's mentioned before that when you scale a business, like the co- the hard costs go up, right? Like in the beginning, it's simpler. But there's just more fixed overhead as you grow, more like admin, more operations. The cost of marketing goes up as well, right? Because you're doing everything at a larger scale. And you've also exhausted your warm audience like you have in the beginning. So it might be a little bit easier to spend a lot of time, energy or money on marketing in the beginning. But then that's not going to be sustainable in the long run, right? You're not going to be able to just like... Also, if you have to sell and market so hard, that's one thing I've learned as well. If I have to sell so hard, whether it's a prospect or whether it's like an audience in general, if I have to sell so hard, it's usually just not a good fit in general. I was thinking about that when you were saying before, Danny, about how like you've changed your sales process from instead being that person to really excite the person and get like the features, the benefits, but put more of the responsibility on them to close themselves really and and get them bought into the idea. And I really resonate with that because I do agree that I think the way you sell people totally affects fulfillment. And that's why I think it's great that you guys started out your entrepreneurial journey in sales. Same for me as well. 10 years ago, I actually started doing door-to-door sales, selling house painting. So I learned like the real grindy, like face-to-face sales, knocking on like thousands of doors when I was in college. But I've noticed that entrepreneurs that start out in sales really have a leg up. And that's okay if you're watching this and you haven't started in sales, but you can still keep, always keep doing more sales and improving your sales skills. But I think just having that like hand-to-hand combat and having that direct experience of really selling people improves yourself a lot as an entrepreneur. Because then you really realize like how everything starts from there, right? It's like the expectation really, kind of like you were alluding to Danny, because ultimately in sales, you're creating expectations with people. And if you create their expectations too high, you're going to likely set both sides up for disappointment unless you just have an absolutely amazing, phenomenal, perfect customer experience, which you shouldn't have to have that because there's always things that can go wrong, right? But yeah, and induce that buyer's remorse instantly because you've just got them at such a peak state. They're so excited. They pay the money. They're even thanking you. And then what happens after that? What happens within the first 24 hours? And I think that's something that's like really important that Matt's really honed in on is what is the customer experience within 24 hours after swiping their card? Are they left alone for the weekend because we've stopped working and they're just sitting there? What, what, I'm gonna wait until Monday. I think something's gonna happen. I think there might be an onboarding. I'm, not, I'm really not sure. 
think I'm going to a group call on Tuesday and they're kind of sitting in limbo. That's a terrible way to start out an experience. But if they can have the salesperson set up the expectations, I love what you said there, setting up realistic expectations, but then also helping to paint the vision of like what things are going to be like over the next three months or whatever it might be. And then having that back end take care of that first 24 hours. I think I've seen studies where they say people actually decide whether they're going to refund within the first 24 hours, just based on that experience. So what can we do to make sure that they're excited, that not so much excitement, but that contentment or that, that fulfillment of I've made a decision, a step in the right direction because I took that responsibility on the sales call. Now the next piece is for me to put one foot in front of the other and take on that responsibility to do the right thing for me, my future, my family's future. And then, of mm. course, having that support system that allows them to do that, I think that's just a recipe of success. Yeah, no, I love that example of like how someone goes for a couple of days without really being knowing what's going to happen, then it could, it could really throw them off. Or yeah, most refunds do happen in the first couple of days. Actually, it's actually interesting. I feel as I was hearing you, I was asking you say that I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs and I've been guilty of this myself in the past. It's easy to feel like when you make a sale, like you're checking a box. Like one, like I hit it, I got the client. But that's when mm -hmm. it all just starts, right? Yeah. Um, and you have to keep reselling people. Like you don't just sell them on the sales call and they just remember that forever. People forget things and their emotions go away. They like subside the next day. Yeah, a big learning for me this last uh, last year with Revenue Boost was just to, you have to keep reinforcing. You have to keep reselling them, keep reinforcing the value. It's like you always have to earn the right to have that client, I feel. It's not like you just earn that client when you made the sale. I think what's really important that I've literally implemented in this past week. And it's been massively beneficial because we essentially have two offers. One's B2B scaling their agency. And then the other one is B2C starting their agency. So, you know, the offer where the business we're working in is a recruiting agency. So might not be a digital marketing agency, but you've got these people that are trying to leave their nine to five jobs, trying to leave corporate America, trying to start their own business. And then there's this three to four month process of them being able to do that. Danny always talks about untangling limiting beliefs and mindset and almost becoming a psychologist on the sales call. As soon as Danny's gone, that all comes back, right? This doesn't happen in 45 minutes. But what I've started doing is really breaking down the different processes that lead to them having success. And instead of saying, hey, like this is everything that we need to do. Let's just start work on this. It's like, all right, this is stage one. This is what you need to do. Here's one action item that you need to complete before we jump onto stage two. I'm not even going to tell you what stage two is. We're just going to do this one thing. And our offer is quite technical heavy on the front end. And then once they do that first two weeks, then it's a lot easier. So there's people that come in and they're like, oh my God, I got to set up all this tech. And I'm like, let's just focus on this one thing. Let's just work through this together once it's done. And then they can chunk it down themselves. And you can actually better manage the journey of your customers because you can understand, okay, cool. This person's here, this person's here, this person's here. And then I know exactly what I need to do and what they need to accomplish for them to get there. And then they're only focusing on one single thing. They're focusing on the key needle mover that moves their business forward. And... It just, I think I've seen it on onboarding calls. They just have this breath of fresh air, this sigh of relief, like, okay, I, I know what I have to do and it's one single thing. And then I'm going to tell them what they need to do after that as well. So stacking those little wins and stacking, that's how we generate momentum. And if you don't have that and they feel overwhelmed, it actually compounds in the opposite direction because they're like, oh my God, there's so much to do. And then the limiting beliefs come back. And then you're like, the mindset's done. Mm. It's like, we do this. And it's, oh, there's this big three to six month journey. Just make it easier on your customers. Like, 
Just make yeah. it as simple as possible. And like the easiest you do it, and the, to be honest, the more work you do for them, the easier it's going to be for them. And like just the simpler you make it, the happier your customer will be. Yeah, that's awesome. I can definitely relate to that a lot as well as far as when you join a coaching program or let's say you hire an agency and they give you like a 12-month plan. It's Even if you're excited in the beginning, like you have to have a plan to maintain that excitement and keep wins along the way. Because I think everyone watching this, like how many of you watching this have, have lost a client when really you were doing a good job for them? They just didn't they just didn't know it or they didn't feel it because there wasn't that touch point or there wasn't like that re-emphasis of value. So uh, yeah, I think it just always has to be. Yeah, like what you said about restacking the small wins. How does that... Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but... Don't just make a touch point for the sake of a touch point. Build a relationship with your customers. Like, care about them more than they care about their own success and just watch your business blow up. Like, just genuinely put your customers first and just care so deeply about them. And like, like our main client right now, like, he's almost a mate at this point. Like, he's not a client. It's not a business relationship. Like, we... We chat about stuff all the time. We chat about mindset. We chat about fitness. We chat about just life, right? So... Yeah, don't just make a touch point for the sake of making a touch point. Make a touch point because you genuinely care about them. I spent two hours today with someone on a call just to help them build out like their first step of their tech because they were just like overwhelmed. They didn't know about it. We were talking about football. We were talking about all this other stuff, right? But in that point, I built this relationship that I know that, okay, this has been their first experience with us. They're going to stay for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think there's... um. There's definitely, I feel like, at least in the, as the coaching space, an example, coaches that'll watch the clock, right? Like your 60 minutes is up. Like I've never told someone your 60 minutes. If I have another meeting, hey, let's talk later. But I think it's, I think it's kind of rough to be like, hey, you're out of time, even though we haven't solved the problem and you still need more help. So I'm with you as well. We're our whole coaching team. We're always over, over delivering, going more if needed, because it's not always, it's not always that black and white. So yeah, I love that you guys have that value of caring. Actually, I definitely want to go into more of the tactics and the specifics of how you apply these principles to, to scale that business, but. Just to take a little bit of detour on what you said, getting to some of the mindset stuff. I like how you just said, you know, hey, the syst- systems are great, touch points are great, but it's more about the intention and actually caring, actually giving a shit. I'd love to know your guys' thoughts on that as well, because one thing that I've noticed looking back on my own journey is so one of our values of revenue boost is customer obsession, right? That's where all three of us share in common is we really genuinely care about our clients. And we're now really putting a lot of systems and processes and all that fancy stuff in place to ensure customer success. But for a while, we weren't very systems driven, but we were always, and we didn't even have a referral system. We never asked clients for referrals. We were getting referrals. So I knew that there was something good about our customer experience. But for the first year of us running our coaching program, we weren't really like very systems driven in terms of our fulfillment, but it worked because we just all had the mindset of we're going to help these people. We're going to do what they need. We would sometimes go maybe a little out of scope or out of the program, but we would just have this mindset where we're going to do whatever it takes to help them within reason and go the extra mile. And I feel like that alone would change everyone's business. If they just change their mindset on how they help their customers to just genuinely caring about their customers' results, everything else aside, I feel like that alone is almost trumps any... Obviously, the systems matter and I want to get into that, but I feel like that's where it starts. But what do you guys think about that? Yeah, wouldn't you believe it? Danny's going to say it starts on the sales call. So I think (laughs) in my experience, the person who wins the sale is the person who cares more about the prospect. Because sometimes these people are so caught up in, in their stress bubble, as an example. I had a lady I was speaking to today on a call, and she was telling me about how stressed out she is in her job. And I asked her because part of the sales process, like getting them to picture the future pace of their vision of what they want to achieve. And I was like, and what is it going to be like when you're able to leave this job and you're, you're able to provide $15,000 a month for your family, what that's going to be like. And she's, Oh, it would be so good. 
but blah, blah, blah. And then she just went on and I was like, hang on. The thing is, sometimes we get caught so much in, we get caught up in this bubble that we live in and we're stressed out and we're so caught up that we can't actually picture the life that we want. And if you're unable to picture it, if you're unable to taste it, then, and you're caught up in this bubble, it's going to be really hard to attract that and pull that towards you. So just for a second, if you don't mind me asking again, what would it actually feel like? If you, let's just picture that you've left your job, you're making $15,000 a month. What's different. And I had to stop her because I cared so much about her in that moment. I was like, oh honey, you're not going to be able to achieve. You're not going to be able to do this. If you can't at least just stop and think about in visualizing what your future, the future that you truly want, we've got to start there. And of yeah. course it supports me in the sales process because I need to get them to future pace, right? I need to get them to feel the emotion of what it is they want to achieve. But it's the same. The only reason I do that is, or the only reason I'm okay with doing that is because I know that for me, I needed to envision, I needed to taste, feel, see what I wanted to achieve before I could achieve it. This isn't like a manipulation thing. This is, I care about you so much that you need to taste this before you're going to attract it, before you're going to achieve it. And on the call, if I care so much about them, I'm not going to let them hide behind their BS objections that are like smoke screens that are just like, oh, I need to think about it. I care too much about you to put off this decision. You've been putting this off for 18 months now. I care too much about you to let this slide. And obviously, I'm not going to just say it outright, or maybe I might, depends on the situation. But the fact is, I care more about that person in the moment than they actually care about themselves in the moment because they're seeking comfort. They're seeking, I don't want to be uncomfortable. And I'll straight up say to people, like, I'm, I sense that I'm making you uncomfortable right now. Yeah, yeah, I am uncomfortable. Okay, good. Because everything that you want is on the other side of your comfort zone. And just like coaching them through that, even on the sales call, caring so much because yeah, it makes me uncomfortable too sometimes, right? It's like, feels like yeah. a confrontation when you're saying these things. I don't go about my day doing this with like my girlfriend all the time. Like that, It's an uncomfortable thing, but caring enough about them to make myself feel the energy confrontation in the moment so that they can get past their limiting beliefs so that they can move past this step to take one one more step in, in towards where they want to go. That is so important. So just to recap, like if I care more about the prospect than they care about their own future, I'm going to win that sale. And if the process starts there and then I hand off to Maddie and he cares more about their success, then they're willing to push things off for two weeks. But he's, no, you've got to get this done. You've got to get it done by next week. Like it's that constant handoff all the way from the beginning. And I think that's our secret source is just having the sales and the marketing and the fulfillment, we all work together so well. Mm. And having that handoff situation where it's like wins, win on the sales call, win for them, win for the next thing that they need to do and building up that momentum all the way through, super powerful. And it's a compounding vehicle because the sales team conviction skyrockets because they know there's like amazing fulfillment on the back end and they know that they can actually oh, yeah. help people. Yeah. And then they go, and then it's just the compounding vehicle where, yeah, it just has unbelievable results. Your client success team and your sales team should be like in lockstep around like how this is working. I hate the fact that there's a marketing department, sales department, client success department. It's like, this should be one cohesive unit that like, it's obsessed about the customer journey, which is like your value, right? Customer obsession. Everyone should be working so closely in unison that they know 
exactly what the customer is experiencing and like the ability to create that feedback loop as well by having that relationship with your customers. So then we can like, yeah, so you can tweak things and improve things. You're giving the customers what they want. So yeah, the feedback loop and the compounding effect that it has is mind blowing. But the crazy thing is in businesses that I've worked in, it's been like sales versus marketing. It's like the yeah. salespeople, are, you're providing us shitty leads. You're, you're not giving us anything to work with. And the marketing people are like, screw you, man, you can't close the door. It's just everyone's fighting each other. But when that, when everyone's working together with that central, uh, exactly what you say, I love that value, like customer obsession, then we can create something that's cohesive, all work together, and then just create that massive momentum for the customer. And of course, once again, you look after the people, bang, profits are guaranteed to follow. Yeah, it's awesome. No, there's so much good stuff in there. Yeah, you look after the people, the profits come. It's one of those things that almost sounds like to some people that don't get it, like a little woo-woo, like if you just genuinely just really just try to help your people as much as possible, it's like that domino that knocks everything else over. Everything falls into place, right? Sometimes for me, if I'm ever having a overwhelming week where there's a lot going on and I'm a little bit like scattered and like, what do I focus on or what do I prioritize if I'm too busy to do it all? I have this just thing in my mind where I just view the clients as the North Star. If I'm having a day where there's a lot going on, I can't get it all done. Let me just make sure the clients are taken care of because at least if we have a happy clients, everything else generally will fall into place. And you know what's funny? That is the reason a business exists, right? I feel like a lot of times people view their business where it's like the customer should revolve around their business. But really, I feel like your business should revolve around your customers, right? But the only reason we create a business is to serve customers, right? I feel like maybe when someone starts a business, they're an entrepreneur by themselves or the business partner, it's, it's easy to see that. But then maybe they get a little lost along the way because you get so focused on numbers and systems and KPIs and sales and Maybe we lose sight of that initial vision why we started. So I like that example before of how you said you keep your Zoom people over profit so you can constantly remind yourself that it's all about helping the person. The agencies that do the best and grow the most are the ones that have excellent offers, great marketing, and great sales systems. Now, the customer acquisition process can be really hard to master. There's a lot that goes into generating leads, closing deals, building a sales team. Especially since our industry is so competitive and there's so many agencies and freelancers out there, it makes it really hard to stand out and grow and win you know, the clients that you want. Now, fortunately, we've created a free Facebook community with trainings, weekly live sessions, and tons of really valuable networking opportunities with six, seven, and eight-figure agency owners. You can find it here on Facebook at B2B Sales and Marketing Secrets. So right now, go to Facebook, do a search and type in B2B sales and marketing secrets. Or you can just add me on Facebook, AJ Casada, and find the link on my profile. There's also a free mini course inside on how to generate more leads, close more deals, and scale your agency. I highly recommend you join. It'll only take one minute. And if you ever need any questions or need advice, just email me at aj at revenueboost.net. So again, if you ever want to drop me a question, email me at aj at revenueboost.net. I love helping agencies and sharing ideas about how they can grow further. And again, go join our free Facebook community, guys. It's so valuable. We have great trainings in there, great posts, and tons and tons of content that we don't normally share with the public. So go to the Facebook group right now, B2B Sales and Marketing Secrets. Drop me a message once you're in there. I love to connect with our community members and check out the video trainings and the free course we have inside. See you there. Now back to the show. We got pens that say people over profits and mugs and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's gonna be a t-shirt dropping soon. <laughs> stay, stay tuned. Yeah, get a, get a LED lights on your wall. Get like a big big ass neon sign in the back. That'd be cool <laughs> for your zoom calls. <laughs> oh yeah, that's um, definitely next. 
But no, it's, I think, yeah, the other thing you guys mentioned that stuck out to me was how different departments or different people in a company don't really work together. I also believe as well that the whole company needs to be very synergistic. I think it's a little easier in the beginning when it's a smaller team, five or 10 people, because everyone knows each other. But I've seen a lot of times when the company grows is people just don't know each other. People don't know each other's names. They don't work together. And yeah, we're 10 people now in our company at Revenue Boost. So I'm really trying to be conscious of as we scale, like still keeping the culture because I've seen it just go wrong, right? I've been in companies where it's, yeah, like you said, Danny, the sales like hates marketing. They're like, stop giving us shitty leads. And they're like, oh, you can't close for shit. So it's like, <laughs> they work against each other, but they're both working for the same purpose. And yeah, it's almost like you think about like, like a human, right? Like our bodies work together. All of our organs work together. If one isn't working, that affects the rest of the body, right? So it's like a whole business needs to work together very fluidly, but it's really the leader's job as well. The leader's job to keep communication well across all departments and to unite different departments and just keep everyone on the same page. But it's tough. It's a tough balance definitely as things scale. I think that if you're an agency owner with a team, a sales team, Tomorrow morning, whenever you can, just go and book a meeting with the entire sales team and ask them what objection they're getting. And I'm not talking about, oh, I need to think about it. I don't have the money. It's like, why do they need to think about it? Like, why are they, why are these people not buying? And if they don't know, then you probably need to get the sales team to identify and not just take service level objections, but identify the reason that your customers are not buying. And I think an offer is an ever evolving thing. It evolves with the marketplace and it evolves with what people want and what they need. And what people want is literally told to you why people like by the customers or by the prospects of why people don't buy. So there should be such a close relationship with business owner or the leaders, whoever make the decisions, and then the sales team and identifying what's going on front end. Why are these people not moving forward? And then building that into the offer. So then you can literally go around back to all of those people and say, hey, you said you wanted this, we've actually got this. And then every single person that has that same objection that comes on, you've already built the solution for them. And it becomes this ever-evolving thing that your offer should never really be finalized. And I think that when people start out, they try to have a scalable offer too quickly. Mm. They should absolutely just do everything possible to deliver value and then really pull it back. And then the offer, this is the thing as well. You can't just have a great offer but no fulfillment. $100 million offers just generated a bunch of stupid guarantees. Yeah, I knew this would come up. Like, <laughs> like it generated a bunch of guarantees. It generated a bunch of urgency, scarcity, like amazing book. But I don't think anyone really took the time to build out the fulfillment systems to fulfill on these offers. So now a year later or two years later, no one believes a guarantee anymore. Yeah, It's, it's almost obsolete now. So I think it starts with the feedback of the sales team building it into your offer and then actually building the fulfillment systems around that. And then that constant feedback loop that constantly allows you to evolve and ultimately serve more people because you might have an offer. Let's say you're running Facebook ads, right? And you can then build different things into it. You're still niche down. You're still focusing on your one thing and you're still systemizing your fulfillment, but you might be able to branch out in little sub niches and help a variety of more people just by identifying what they want and solving those problems. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I literally had in my notes to ask about the book and what you guys think about it because I knew it would come up anyway because we've talked about it before as well. But yeah, I think what people don't realize is that's, at least people that read it, they don't realize that's one book in his long series. I'm sure he's eventually going to have a book in his series about product and customer experience because he talks about it all the time, right? It's a great mm -hmm. example of how 
like we talked about at the beginning of this call, how, yeah, yeah, you need to have a good offer. You need to be good at sales, but that's just one piece of the puzzle. And every piece of the puzzle needs to work together well for a proper, sustainable business. Because yeah, there's a term a lot of going around the marketing space called fulfillment anxiety, right? Where it's like you create this high ticket offer, then you sell it and you're like, oh shit. And now I like have to deliver it. What people don't realize is when you charge high ticket, there's high ticket expectations, right? So it puts more mm-hmm. of... For someone maybe new, just starting out, like I wouldn't always recommend having a really expensive offer right away. Just make sure you can deliver and have good expectations with the client, right? But uh, but yeah. And on top of that, if you're new, yes, but use the opportunities with your clients to learn as well. Yeah. Use it to have your core offer. I remember when we first started with this client, what was it, about three months ago now, we were just closing deals for him. And I came home one day after God knows where, and then I was chatting with Danny and I was like, let's imagine this guy is paying us 50 grand a month what would we do for him? So I was like, let's imagine this. Mm. What would we do for him if he was paying us 5, 10, 20 times more? What would we do? So then I was like, all right, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. Bang, let's do it, right? And then you can actually test additional things with these clients because if you're willing to just test things out for free and then bang, oh, this worked really well. So then you can add different things in and get the experience of filling these different things with a couple of small clients that you have that relationship with that you can nurture over time and continue to evolve with. So don't think that your offer needs to be the final thing. It's almost the starting thing, right? Yes, we've had a lot of success with what we've been doing with this client, but the amount we've learned is probably 10x. The amount that we now have to provide the marketplace in in a year's time is then tenfold because we go in and we think, what else can we figure out? What else can we add? What else can we do to add into this business and add into this offer or add into the sales piece or add into the marketing or whatever? And we just test things out and we have a great time doing it. And yeah, we're all making money. We're all having fun. We're learning along the way. And I think that's so important for young people to, or people starting out. Don't try to scale straight away. Like they, they always try to have like, you know, how can I charge the most and do the least? And it's just, yeah. you should be thinking the opposite. Yeah, it's not the point. Exactly. It's, of mm-hmm. course, it's always worthwhile to think, how can I maximize profits, minimize costs? But like, that's not the point. The point is the value. What I keep hearing from what you guys have been saying through today's call, like in different ways, is that it's really about like long-term thinking and just realizing that kind of the basics of business, right? Like a customer buys something because they see value in it, right? They need to get value to be happy with it. They need to get value to keep staying, right? So I think like, it's just one of those simple things of just giving value, giving as much value to your clients. And it sounds simple, but we just get a little lost along the way or we get distracted by all these other things that don't give give value like even i'll tell, you a, company, I'll yeah, tell you a quick story just on that long-term thinking piece when we first started out danny's clearly loved sales he's very passionate about it i've been more of that operational systems guy but i was working with danny on sales teams so my beliefs and my thought processes around how i was like i'm not that successful i'm not as good as danny like danny's really passionate about it i'm still trying to figure my stuff out So I had this really bad belief around myself. But then what I did, instead of looking at the last two years or the first two years of what we've been doing, I expanded my time horizon back to when I was 18. And I realized, hey, I've managed nightclubs when I was 19, 20. I've managed gyms. I've done all these different things. They're not in the online space, but you have had success in different areas. And now you're just finding it in the online, online space and trying to figure out how to add value in this operational managerial piece. So how I viewed myself over an 18-month time horizon versus how I viewed myself over an eight-year time horizon was drastically different because I could see that the trajectory was slowly going up. Yes, it was middling a little bit because I was a little bit lost and trying to find my way early on. But if I expand that out, it's like a trading chart, right? You expand it out and then you see, okay, this thing's actually been going up for a long time. Don't need to worry about the little the ups and downs in the market. And then we project that forward. Like we literally turned around and said, what if we just work for one client for one year? 
and see if we can make him $5 million. Because we don't want to be someone that, yeah, it's great. Like we, we love ethical sales, ethical business practices, fulfillment, looking after the customers. But also another aspect is I don't want to just be another guy who can take people from 10K to 100K. I'd rather be a guy that takes people from 100K to a million a month. That's way cooler for me because you can't do that on sales and marketing. I can mm. almost cannot happen on sales and marketing. And the intricacies and the way it all plays out, the, little, the way that things loop in together, it's just really fascinating for me Like when you start looking at those high-level problems. Yeah, me too. It's, it's just so much learning in it, right? It's just like, there's, that's what I love about entrepreneurship is there's always more to learn. I feel like even if I had a $100 million a year business, like I'd still, I'd probably even realize that there's way more I have to learn from there. Because I feel like the more you learn, the more you see how much more there is to the game. But that's the, that's the exciting part about it. But yeah, no, I think it's a great point about having the big time horizon. I think we could probably, I think even everyone watching this has all felt those days where we have a shit day, a shit week, a shit month. And then we evaluate our self-worth based on that shit day, shit week or shit month. But it's like, no, look at the whole journey. You've been going up and up over the... I was talking to a coach the other day. His business is doing really well, but he was saying that he's been having a little bit of emotional ups and downs because he looks at his Stripe account every day. And when there's a $0 day, he feels like shit. And I'm like, stop looking at your Stripe account every day. It's not, it doesn't matter. It's like that. It's really about looking at the time horizon. Not like I say, I don't do it too. I definitely look at how many comments I get on our posts every day. There's a little bit of that addiction to dopamine. But I think, yeah, I feel like when you look at the big picture, and this goes for life in general, I feel if you look at the big picture all the small things in the moment, all the, maybe the hiccups, the ups and downs, they don't, they just don't matter because they, they just pass. I'm really passionate about this point because this is a realization I've had in this last month is instead of focusing on the skill set and these other things, what I've really changed about myself in 2023 is focusing on how I'm going to be showing up every day. And what do I need to do in terms of daily inputs that are going to compound ridiculously over time? For example, our Facebook group is like, you know what? I'm going to send 75 invites a day. I'm going to send 30 welcome DMs to new members per day. I'm just going to focus on that. I'm not going to focus on anything else, right? And focus on the daily inputs and how I was showing up. And when I'm journaling at night, I rate my day based on how I show up, not on the outcomes of the day. I remember we made about 22,000 in two days, one day in January. Cash collected is probably 30K in revenue. Danny's obviously hyped up, but I actually rated my day a four and a five respectively because I knew that I didn't show up as the best version of myself that day. And we've made $0 and I rate myself a 10 because I know that I've put in the effort. And what mm -hmm. I learned is, and what I understood is that from an operational standpoint and a fulfillment standpoint, these big days and these exciting days and you get a lot of sales, it's actually based on the work you've previously done. So yeah. you focus on what you're doing every day. You're going to have these big days and these big months later, right? So this delayed gratification and then just focusing, all right, what do I need to show up as today that's like going to show itself in revenue numbers in six months time? What can I focus on in, in these areas? And I think it's just been a, such a big mindset shift of taking account of like how you showed up and like what you did every single day and like what you inputted and what you inputted into your business versus what were the outcomes or what were the results that would change everything. Yeah. I love that you said that. I'm super passionate about that as well. Cause that was a game changer for me recently. That was probably one of my biggest mindset shifts was focusing on the inputs, not the outputs and focusing on the process that drives the results. So I've started to really, yeah, honestly, when I, I think maybe it was a, it was a year and a half ago, I had this realization and everything just lit up since then. Everything, once I had that, that was one of those mindset shifts for me that like just really made a big difference. Because if you just focus on the outputs, if I was just focusing on my monthly revenue or the sales or whatever, I'm placing my responsibility and also my sense of happiness 
and sense of success on something that I don't control because you don't control the outcomes. You do not, but you can control the process fully and you can feel good about that. Right. It's like working out at the gym, right? You can't control how many like pounds you put on per day. You can't map that out to a sign. Maybe you can get close to it. Right. But you can control. Did I show up at the gym three times this week? And if you can just value yourself based on that, like you're going to get the results. And I've instilled that a lot with my sales team as well. We had one sales guy that was pretty emotional. He was pretty like not used to the ups and downs of sales. And I would just always tell him, dude, did you do your best today? Did you hit your KPIs? Great. You had a fucking awesome day. I don't care. You booked zero calls. Even if it's three days, even though in the back of my mind, I'm like, shitty book three, zero calls. I wouldn't say that. I would give him, I wouldn't say that to him. I say, dude, if you're hitting the KPIs, it will fall into place. Right. And I think what it's that really, it's that uh, Bill Walsh, I believe that uh, really famous coach, sports coach is he has this saying called the score takes care of itself, right? So if you play the game, the score will naturally reflect how you play the game. So I think that's just a game changer, right? Focusing on the inputs and the process. And uh, yeah, the results do show up later. Like you said, it's the leading and lagging, lagging indicators, right? Where like how you said, you could feel great on a day you had zero sales because if you did everything to the best of your abilities, you know that later those results will come. Like your zero sales that day was a reflection of something three months ago. So I totally hear you on that. Awesome guys. Look, I would love to go more into the practical component now. We've talked about, we touched on a lot of good stuff today. Mindset, fulfillment, sales, really the whole purpose of business being about providing value and caring about your customers. But let's get into the practical side now. Tell us more about how you've applied some of these things in that business you're scaling to 5 million, which is a recruitment. It's a coaching company that teaches people how to start a recruiting agency. Yeah. Yeah. So from what I understand, you guys came in like the end of end of Q4 last year in 2022 and their sales had gone a little flatter. One of their salespeople left and you came over to just start redoing their sales and helping them scale. So tell me a little bit more about how it started. Yeah, let me tell you, there was a scorched <laughs> earth policy that took place before we got there. He had taken on the a salesperson and this chick was apparently like really good at selling in terms of like we were talking about before, like in terms of the metrics of like her close rate was nuts. She was very good. But in terms of creating realistic, realistic expectations and actually selling on creating an understanding of what they were actually buying. Like uh, I got feedback from people saying, oh yeah, I spoke to her, but she wouldn't tell me what it was. She would just say, if it works, then like, why do you need to know what it is? So it was just this like toxic sales environment that we were walking into and she burnt so many leads. So we came into this and the pipeline was scorched. That's why I say like scorched earth policy because everything was just burnt. So we came in, we decided to do 100K challenge. The whole goal was to help this business to make 100K. We we'd never closed specifically, like actually closed a call for them. So that was the challenge and it was during Christmas time. So Matt and I were like, what would be really fun and exciting instead of trying to have this client acquisition system? Let's just do a challenge. Let's end the year on a high and challenge ourselves. And so we jumped in. And I'll be honest, I thought I was going to absolutely crush the challenge. I was like, I'm a great closer. I'm going to be sweet. I don't care whether it's Christmas time. Came in. I was used to closing like entrepreneurs, people who really valued like being challenged and solving problems. And for those types of people, I would tend to dig into their pain quite a bit and understand like the process of what they're doing and why it's not working and then provide a solution customized to solve their problem. And I tried the same type of process for this nine to five niche, digging into their pain. And what I realized was like, they're already in so much pain. Like they're coming to the call feeling fairly broken. And then you've got me trying to do the best thing I can for them is to help them see that there's a problem and help to take them out of it, provide a vehicle. And I tried the same strategy and I realized they were just stuck. They were just stuck in this bubble of negativity. And I was actually adding to it because I was digging into their pain. 
So the transition that I made from December to January, and we didn't achieve the challenge. I think we did just shy of 50K for the month. So that was a bit of a downer for me. But you want to talk about like highs and lows of entrepreneurship and sales that that felt like a, a fail. But I'm also very conscious that failing is a prerequisite to to succeeding. So I saw that as like, all right, now I know exactly what not to do. And we changed things around in January from a sales perspective. We learned in December, what are the problems? What are the objections we're getting? Why are people not buying? Granted, it was December, Christmas time, everyone's, oh, I don't have money. I'm doing this for my kids and whatnot. But we looked at what are the objections that we're getting? And Matt can touch on that as to how that changed fulfillment. But then in terms of the sales process, I had to change things around completely. So instead of digging into their pain, because I was told, and we're all told, like pain is the biggest motivator. Running away from pain is more motivating than seeking pleasure. But for these people, they were already in this bubble. So I had to take on the responsibility of helping them to take on the responsibility for probably one of the first times in their lives, many times, and to help them like actually draw a line in the sand and be like, okay, that's the past. That's where you've been. Now, where do you actually want to go? And then drag them out of that like victim mentality, help them to take responsibility and then go towards what they truly want to achieve. And that in itself made such a big difference. Sure, there was a certain amount of understanding the process, understanding the offer better. That's going to, that's, there's always a ramp up period, right? For salespeople starting a new offer. And there was certainly, that was definitely part of it. But changing that just made things, it was just a crazy growth in January, just in sales alone, just because of that mentality shift. And it came from a place of how can I serve these people better? Because obviously this isn't it. And helping them to have that mindset shift. I basically became like a therapist over December to January. It completely changed the way I was doing things. But yeah, skyrocketed in sales. My close rate like doubled, went from like 30% to 60%, like very quickly, just from that one shift. So you had a huge change in results without necessarily having more calls, more marketing, more leads. You just really changed the mindset of your sales process, which was focusing less on the pain and the negative and more on helping them paint their future vision and take responsibility for it. Yeah, the main thing that we changed, we didn't want to change other things yet because we didn't know we needed more data. And that was the purpose too of December. If we're going to keep working with this client, okay, what can we gather, get enough data to actually make database decisions? And then Matt can take over in terms of like how we took that month, did a lot of different things for fulfillment. On the sales piece saying there's a bit of a theme emerging here, but if you speak to your customers and ask them why they bought then you can identify what patterns emerge in terms of what's going to be a successful sort of sales strategy, right? And I think if your sales team is constantly analyzing themselves and analyzing why sales didn't close, but also why sales did close, then you're going to really be able to identify patterns. But more on the sales piece is all of the little things that we did outside of it, there wasn't even a CRM when we started. It was crazy. (laughs) No CRM. So... We didn't have any leads to work or anything like that. Like we couldn't have worked the leads even if we had them because they were burned. <laughs> but yeah, it was so we ended up building a CRM. And this is a really important piece when if you're building systems, don't like don't try to build this crazy system with these beautiful automations and these zaps and these flows. Like you've got to do it one step at a time. And you've got to do it when you're building an automation or a system, you have to do it in a bad way first. You've got to mess it up before you optimize it. And I think so many people got to try to like figure out this like beautiful system and like, how do I do this? And then 
but they haven't even started. They haven't even gotten feedback. So when it came to building the CRM and more specifically the workflows in the CRM, it was just one little piece at a time. So what we started doing was after Danny had about a month's worth of data, we identified like what are the key selling points of this take the logistical piece of it out and actually put it in an email beforehand so then Danny can focus more on the emotions. So we built in, so we put a 48-hour gap from when they could book a call to when they could actually speak to us. And that allowed us to send multiple emails, did a little bit of the pre-selling for us. And yeah, just different flows like specific to their situation, right? So when they book a call, we put questions in there that they could answer multiple different questions to identify what kind of prospect they were. And then we built very specific email flows around that prospect. So they felt like they were getting this customized approach. And then Danny's really good at this is selling that customized approach and customizing the pitch and things like that. So there were all these little touch points that we put in there. And then we had enough data to try to start to optimize it. So I remember... Yeah, it was over Christmas and we started building out all these different workflows and these different things. And that made a massive impact in January because we were able to identify what do these people care about? And what are these people, what can we give these people from a logical basis that's going to solve it for them? And then we can just gloss over again on the call because we actually moved funnily enough from a two call close to a one call close. So we had to try to bridge some of that gap. (laughs) Yeah. Which is a completely, yeah, we had only ever closed on two calls before and yeah, we just switched it up. I think it was like the last week of December and then January just crashed, which is completely new territory for us. And then when it came to the fulfillment, so Danny was able to tell me and give me the feedback of like why people were buying and what the logical cases of why people were buying. We can put that in the pre-call emails and like different communication. But then you can find out why they weren't buying. And that's when I think like in terms of like practical, like what we did, we just we just went, how can we have the best offer in the market? How can we have the best support? How can we do all these crazy things? Just just write down some dream offer that's like unrealistic and then figure out how to fulfill it, which is yep. what we did. We gutted the fulfillment, essentially. We took we, we kept the core trainings, but everything outside of that and the offer is completely different. And like I touched on before, with the fulfillment piece, it's been very much a focus on like, how can we get these guys to take little baby steps through this so they have success and one of the ways we did that was building them like a KPI sheet. So I think in coaching programs, people, a lot of people come and they go, oh, this is the problem. I think this is the problem. What we actually did was build two KPI sheets that work with each other so we can identify exactly what the problem is for the client based on their data, based on the numbers that they're generating. So the first sheet is almost like a sales tracker. And then like they're putting in all their daily inputs and it's going to tell them what their metrics are. And then we're going to put their metrics in and rank them against the benchmark of industry averages, right? So then when they say, hey, my cold email is not working. I'm not getting enough positive replies. Actually, you're getting one in 350 per positive reply. And that's actually a really good response rate. What's actually the issue is the show rate. So instead of, because we're the experts, we are the experts in helping these people build businesses and scale businesses and grow businesses or whatever. But so why, when they come to us with a question, do we take it as, oh, this must be the problem. So let me solve this problem. So we pretty mm-hmm. much took it out of their hands and like reverse engineered exactly like to identify what was going wrong. So we could coach on that and we can solve those problems and then just leave everything else as is. So if, you, if half the stuff is working well, then half the stuff is falling below the benchmark. That's instead of trying to optimize the stuff that's working well. So let's just fix this and then everything should fall into place. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love, I love that shift about diagnosing their problem, like really properly diagnosing it before just going off what they said. Cause I think with coaching, it's easy for people to come in, they spill all their problems 
And then you just go based on, you just go help them with that without really thinking twice about it. So that's what's, on, that's what's on top of the person's mind. So it seems obvious to attack that, but really take a look at the bigger picture. Because if you think about it, they're not the expert. They're not the expert in their problem. Well, you're working with a business owner, they're coming to you for help as an expert, whether it's agency, it's coaching, it's a marketing service, whatever, like you're the expert. So you can't just go off of, what they think is the problem. You really have to diagnose it and there's no better way than data. So I love, yeah, I love that, that you've implemented KPI sheets. How, do, how does that look though? Do you have someone before the onboard fill out their current numbers of their business or is that like throughout the program or like how did you actually implement that data-driven data-driven approach in the coaching? It goes hand in hand with a much more customer-focused approach. So like the yeah. KPI sheets actually aren't even relevant till stage three. So to break it down, stage one is laying the foundations. If they need to get their LLCs and all that stuff, then yeah. But then also just like getting their domains warmed up to start sending emails. Stage two is launching their first campaign. Stage three is closing a client. Just give them a little bit of information at the start. And then just like these little bite-sized pieces that allows them to then focus on that piece. And then they're actually going to move so much quicker. So I was when I first built out the KPI sheet, I was so happy. I was so excited about it. I was like, this thing's amazing. Every onboarding call, I just want to explain this KPI sheet and like just blow people's minds. I realized that like they didn't need the KPI sheet for a month. They hadn't even sent an email yet. Yeah. So I was like, how can you track stuff if you haven't even started? So I went, all right, what's the first thing we need to do? We need to get domains warmed up, right? So let's just do that. And then taking it from just like a check-in call and things like that. Like we built a Slack where they can just speak to us at any time, right? So there's like a group, not a group chat, but like a one-on-one chat with myself as customer service manager and the client. And then like our higher tier program has the business owner in there as well as the expert, as well as the coaching, as well as the support ticket, and as well as the KPIs. This is to keep them on track, to identify where they're at and give them the information as they need it. And I think that... Yeah, it just comes back to just like continuing that crescendo, like I was mentioning, that three to four month journey. You give someone a confusing looking KPI sheet, to be honest, like when they're just starting and have never really set up an email campaign before. What do these numbers mean? It was like once you actually get them launching the campaigns and they're like, all right, well, I'm sending these things. Like, what do I do now? Now you need to input these numbers in here. And then you can, and so it's going to make more sense as you peel back the layer slowly versus trying to over deliver and just give them all the information at once. And that just leads to them feeling quite overwhelmed. Yeah. That overwhelm piece really stuck out to me because yeah, we, it's easy to think that the more we give our clients, the better, but it's actually not that way at all. The more you give them, the more you could just freak them out and they don't know what to do. So it seems like you guys have really flipped on its head where you're just giving them one little bite at a time and then checking in along the way before they're moving on to the next thing. I think what's interesting is a lot of the things that, that Matt's talking about, we actually haven't had the time to see what the impact truly is yet. Because KPI sheets, for example, like it was an amazing thing, but it's not used until phase three. And we haven't even sold anyone who's gotten to phase three quite yet because we only brought them out a few weeks ago. However, if you look at the increase in sales since the KPI sheet came out, it's huge. And it's not because of the fulfillment necessarily. It's because of the conviction that it gave me looking at the fulfillment and going, wow, this is actually such a strong system. I feel so good about just sitting in the objection saddle and overcoming and going through this process with them if necessary, because I know this is going to change their bloody life. I can see how powerful this is. And so there's so many pieces where if you were to talk to us again in, in six months, we'll be able to tell you, we're going to say, yeah, the success rate skyrocketed. But right now, the only metric we really have to look at is the increase in sales. And I think that's something that's so important is if your salespeople, whoever's on the front end, isn't convicted that this is actually going to change someone's life, then 
how are they meant to sell? Like, how are they meant to put themselves in a position and try to transfer belief when they don't actually truly believe in the product? But if you were to just create fulfillment systems just for the fact of increasing the salesperson's conviction, sales would skyrocket. Of course, we want to focus on the people. We want the fulfillment to be able to actually support them. But it was interesting, as Matt was talking, I was like, everything he's saying is very true, but we actually haven't seen the impact yet. But we have at the same time, because it's made me like fiery and passionate about this offer, which has just been so incredible. I have seen the impact, but it's not this quantitative numbers on the top line revenue that everyone likes to flex on. Like, it's the really right. complex space on onboard. So it comes in qualitative measures. It comes in seeing these people, right? And they're going, all right, I know what I'm doing. And we've spoken a lot about happy customers, but I think the question is like, so how does that really scale my business? I know we talked about increasing the sales team conviction and all these different things. We should have customers for longer than just the first purchase they make. And I think a lot of people have these one-time offers where it's like 5K, cool, onto the next one, like we spoke about, cool, 5K, bank it, onto the next sale. What we're looking to do here is provide them so much support and so much, like we almost want to partner with them on their business. That's, that's what we're doing, right? We're coming in as a almost a consultant or whatever it looks like in their business and helping them scale. So by the time they hit the end of the 90 days or the 120 or the 180, whatever it looks like for your offer, having something on the back end, which is what we've also built out for them to continue getting that level of support and continue moving up that trajectory What we're projecting is the lifetime value of a customer is going to go from 5K to anywhere from 12500 to $20,000 because not only are we providing such outstanding support, if you can help, because we've got a guarantee on the offer, right? So it's triple your ROI guarantee or we'll just keep working with you until you do. So by the time you're even going to upsell everyone, they're going to have made between $20,000 and $30,000 and have had their lives changed. So then if you offer them, at the end of it, hey, like, why don't we just keep working together and keep scaling this thing out? But we'll keep providing the exact same amount of support. We're just going to solve slightly higher level problems and charge five hundred to a thousand dollars a month for them to continue to access the same support systems. Now your LTV has a long tail on it, right? So you get the upfront payment still. You're not going to convert every single person into it, but if half of your people sign up for it and they end up staying for an entire year, now that customer is worth. a year versus just the five that you get. And then you're so focused on getting another five. Why don't you focus on how you can continue to help them? And there's a mate of ours in Australia that says this. He says, when you solve a problem for someone, you're going to create another problem. So it creates another problem on the back end. So it's like, how can we solve for that as well? And how can we actually keep getting paid? So I was speaking to someone yesterday and he's like, he charged just in the front end. And like, he has this swelling group of people that are looking for his support, but he's not getting paid for it. So it feels I'm getting burnt out because I've got this lifetime access thing and I've got this telegram group that's just like building out and out. And now I've got three years later, I've got 300 people in there still asking for my support and they're not paying me. So I'm more obviously going to be focusing on who's who's bringing in the cash for the business to keep it going. But I think as well, like identifying how can you keep charging people? Because if they're happy, they're going to be happy to pay. Like they're going to be, they're going to ask you what next. If they're really satisfied with the first 90 days, they're going to ask you what next. Trying to think of like an agency. If someone builds out like a cracking website, like someone's going to turn around and say, how do I rank that on Google? So what's the next thing? And I think starting to think long-term, we talked about time horizons and starting to have that longer-term vision that everything we've spoken about around all of these things are to scale your business, even if nothing changed and we just changed the LTV from 5K to 15K, bang, you triple the business. Yeah. So now you're sure. now you've gone from one million to three million. 
just because you're focusing on what they need and delivering it and then they're going to be continually happy to pay for the service or whatever it is on the back end and stay customers for one, two, three, four, five years versus 90 days. Yeah. It's that delayed gratification, just going for the, because, you know, increasing your LTV, that's not like you guys said, it's not giving you a win this month, but that's giving you a win over the long term. So yeah, I love it. Cool. I mean, on the, on the customer experience side, you guys have shared a couple of things that really stuck out. And I want the audience to take note of one was the onboarding process. We all heard onboarding is important, but specifically that first couple of days, right? But that's actually when you're getting judged the most, because that's like your first impression, right? So I feel like you have the least room for error when a client just onboards, because they still don't fully know you and trust you that much yet. So that's when you really got to like impress them. And I find if you impress someone really right away, it makes their guard down and then they just are less like, maybe less, nit, they'll be let, a little bit less nitpicky going forward, right? So I love that you brought up the first 24 hours, the KPI sheets, uh, breaking their program into stages rather than just throwing everything at once and paying the whole roadmap. Anything else that comes to mind as far as how you guys are currently optimizing the customer experience and customer success side of things to increase the LTV? This is classic hormozy, but like, how can you add something for very little cost for massive perceived value. And this isn't anything else, but I think this is an important point to make because I could offer, yeah, I'll work with you eight hours a day, but that's not really, that's not going to make sense. But I can add a Slack channel in where they feel, oh my God, I got 24 seven access to the customer success manager. It actually takes me 15 seconds to reply to the message, but massive perceived value, actually quite a lot, a little amount of time. So that's something else in terms of like literally building into your offer. It's like, what are things that can be done one time? Like those KPI sheets, it took me like two to three hours, do all the formulas on Google Sheets right. and make them all automated and all that stuff. It took me two or three hours, but now it, it cost me nothing. And then Danny's got the conviction and the incremental cost of one additional client using that thing is zero. So those are the things that I'd look at is yeah, like how can I add massive perceived value for actual quite a little amount? Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Love it, guys. Really appreciate your time. This has been an awesome conversation. Can't wait to have another podcast in six, 12 months and when you guys are down so we can see really how everything we talked about today has played out for you guys. That would be, uh, that'd be pretty epic. But yeah, yeah you guys have and it's been a, it's been a blast. Yeah, yeah appreciate so. it, bro. Yeah, sure thing, man. Before we let you go, you want to tell the audience where they can find you or follow more about your journey of how you guys are scaling the business to 5 million? Yeah, so we're documenting all of this stuff in our Facebook group. So it's People Over Profits, Streamlining Sales Systems and Scaling. And jump in the group and you'll see our trainings. These are things we're just discovering in real time, right? So we're presenting all this stuff. We're going live in the group. We're dropping posts, but we're also just dropping actual trainings on the things we're discovering in real time. So you can come see everything that we're doing and then basically just consume it all for free. And then send me a message once you're in there, send Danny a message once you're in there. And like, we don't really have any VAs like managing our chats or anything. Like we we love to keep authentic conversations with people. So yeah, join the Facebook group and then yeah, message us once you're on the inside. Awesome. For everyone watching or listening, we'll put a link to the Facebook group below. Definitely recommend you guys check out their stuff. Their content is awesome. And they're sharing all the behind the scenes like you saw today. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. And uh, we'll chat soon. Cheers. Thanks.